0: Good morning. Great to see you. That was good. Man, how great he is. That is awesome. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. Nehemiah 6. If you go to the middle of your Bible, turn to the left, you'll hit it in there. I'm preaching through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, this, uh, the events of this book took place about 400 years or so before Jesus was, was born. So back in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, but the book definitely points to Jesus. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and we'll be reading today the first nine verses. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Let's pray first. Well, Lord God, we believe you are a great God. We believe you are great. Lord God, we, um, in this life, your word says in this life we see through a glass dimly. We don't see how great you are. We don't see that fully in this life, but we believe you're great. We believe your greatness exceeds anything uh, beyond our minds can, um, beyond anything our minds can conceive. And we just look to you now, Lord God, and we know you're so mysterious in so many ways. And yet, Lord God, you help those who look to you in faith. And so we just look to you again this morning, our great God, and ask you to help us. As we open your word, Lord God, it, 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 apart from you, we won't find anything in this, this word, we won't see anything here so we just look to you for help Lord God we are the weak ones you are the great one Lord we we, we have no power you have all power and yet we believe in prayer that we can put our weak hand in your omnipotent hand and so we do that now in prayer Lord God and just ask will you help us uh, the, these weak people Lord us will you help us Lord will you help me Lord Jesus, you say in your word, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, as much as you do it unto the least of these who are my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. So Lord God, I ask, will you you just help me to do well to your people today and serve them spiritually in your word. And I just trust, Lord Jesus, that as I do it, I'm doing it unto you. So we just thank you for these things now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we read, let me just catch us up to speed. At the start of this book, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes in Persia, about 900 miles away from Israel. The people of Israel were in exile at this time. But God uh, called Nehemiah to return from exile back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls there in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed some 150 years earlier. And at this point right here in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has already returned and he's rallied the Jews to rebuild the city walls. And at the end of this chapter, the walls will finally be finished. But before they are, we will see in this chapter one final wave of opposition. The Jews have faced opposition throughout this building project, local enemies there in Jerusalem who did not want these these walls to be built. And here in chapter 6, we see the final wave of opposition against this building project. Let's go ahead and, and read it. Nehemiah 6.1, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not yet set up the doors in the gates, well, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now... The king will hear of these reports. So now come and, and let us take counsel together. And then I sent to, them, sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Amen. When it comes to war, one thing that can often lead to victory is a strategic change in tactics. You're deadlocked in a war and maybe losing a war and a strategic change in tactics just might turn the tide. In the Revolutionary War, the colonial soldiers were were really getting crushed by the English redcoats when they just stood toe-to-toe with them in those traditional firing lines and traded musket shots with the redcoats. But as soon as the colonial soldiers changed tactics and actually began to fire from behind the rocks and the trees, well, the tide turned. Back in 1398, the Mongol army was getting crushed by the Indian army with their 120 armed war elephants with their poisoned tusks. But the Mongol army then changed tactics. They loaded their camels with hay and set them on fire. And the flaming camels spooked the armored war elephants so badly that they turned and trampled their own Indian army. And the enemies here in this book, well, they have now changed tactics. Up to this point in the book, the enemies that we've seen here, man, they have tried just about everything to stop the Jews from building these walls. They've, they've tried taunts and threats and, and ridicule. And the attack up to now has been more of a kind of a full-on frontal assault against All of the Jewish builders, but now the enemies have just changed tactics. Now it's no longer a full-on frontal assault against all of the Jewish builders. Now it's just a very subtle attack against Nehemiah himself. Jim Boyce says that just as a defense in football might try to injure the opposing quarterback or as soldiers at war might try to shoot the opposing officer, these enemies now take direct aim at Nehemiah, the leader of God's people. The enemies in this passage, they use two very subtle strategies against Nehemiah. And the first strategy here is deception. They try to deceive Nehemiah and lure him away from this building project. Nehemiah talks there in verse 1 about three enemies. We've already seen Sanballat and Tobiah several times in this book. They're always together. The evil twins in this book, Dr. Evil and Mini-Me. And Tobiah, uh, sorry, Sanballat was a governor up in Samaria just north of Jerusalem. Tobiah was probably an assistant of Sanballat, and we saw Geshem, the Arab, with them back in chapter two. So, three local enemies around Jerusalem there who may have had some power up to this point over Jerusalem may have been profiting in some way off of Jerusalem, and they do not want the walls to be built because they could lose their power and their profits. So, they have opposed the building of these walls relentlessly. And verse 1 says that these enemies now heard that the walls had been built. So they are now up to some twenty feet high. I just read this morning that President Trump wants to build a thirty-foot-high wall uh, between the U.S. and Mexico. And 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 these these people here, the Jews, have now built a twenty-foot-high or so wall uh, around the city. The only thing left for Nehemiah to do here is to now set the massive doors in the gates, and the city will be fully enclosed. So this, as far as these enemies concerned, is the 11th hour. This is crunch time. They either stop the building of these walls right now, or the only future option they will have is to besiege a fully fortified city, which they do not want to do. So desperate now to stop this building, they change tactics one final time and take direct aim at Nehemiah. Verse two says that Sanballat and Geshem now sent to Nehemiah, saying, "Come and let us meet together." at Haqafarim in the plain of Ono. They probably sent a letter to Nehemiah. They actually contact Nehemiah in this passage five different times. And verse five says that they sent to him the fifth time with a servant and a letter. And they probably did that all five times. Five letters to Nehemiah here. All these guys, including Nehemiah, they were all sort of rulers in their areas, leaders in their respective Provinces, and there was this uh, diplomatic protocol back then. If you wanted to contact foreign powers, you sent them a letter. <laughs> These communiques from foreign powers, and Nehemiah here just received a letter. Let us meet together at Hacaphereem. It was it was an invitation of some sort to 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 a type of summit of local leaders. Hacaphereem was about twenty-seven miles. To the northwest of Jerusalem. So think about it: Jerusalem, Samaria, way up in the north, Hacaphreim in between. Hacaphreim then was kind of a neutral site between Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and Nehemiah down in the site, down in the south. And this invitation that these guys just sent to Nehemiah, this invitation here was probably presented to Nehemiah as a sort of peace offer. Offering. It was probably presented to Nehemiah as if they were extending a sort of olive branch of peace to him. Nehemiah, we've been opposed to the building of your walls. Yes, we have, but, but you have obviously succeeded in, in spite of us, and then there's no use continuing our opposition. For, for better or worse, we will be neighbors, so so let's be Friends, Nehemiah, what what we need now is a summit of local leaders. We we need to talk. J.I. Packer calls this a courteous, even honeyed invitation to attend a top-level consultation on neutral ground. A honeyed, sweet invitation to Nehemiah. But Nehemiah here... He smells the proverbial rat. He knows that something is up here, says at the end of verse 2, but they intended to do me harm. When I was, uh, when I was in college, uh, I lived in, in this athletic dorm on campus, and man, you, you had to be very good at smelling a rat in my dorm because the pranks there were relentless. Uh, One of the worst that went around the dorm was when guys would take a huge trash barrel and fill it almost to the top with water. They would then quietly lean it against your door and knock. And when you opened the door wide, the barrel would slam to the ground and gallons of water would flood your carpeted room which would then stink for months so listen you learn very quickly in my dorm even the most courteous honeyed sounding knock on your door beware and nehemiah here just received a very courteous knock this invitation but he knows these guys intend to harm him Probably an assassination plot here. Lure Nehemiah away from this wall and have him killed. And then the Jewish builders up on the wall would have received another very different type of letter from Sanballat. We're so sorry to inform you, Jews, but your leader on the way to our summit, well, his caravan drove off a cliff. Condolences and Nehemiah sniffs it out Jesus says in Matthew 10:16 we should be innocent as doves and yet wise as serpents and Nehemiah here was wise as a serpent and he declines the invitation politely because it's a political issue a very politically correct answer here I think and yet also a very firm answer if you look at verse 3 he writes back and I sent messengers to them saying I am doing a great work and I cannot come down why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you and they sent to me four times in this way and he's like a battering ram. It won't come down the first time, so you just keep hitting it, hoping it'll come down off of the wall. And Nehemiah says, I answered them in the same manner all four times I am doing a great work here a very important task on my hands with my people building these walls I I cannot afford the three or four days it would take to travel and meet with you at your summit if I leave the work will stop and I cannot allow that I'm sorry but I cannot come down so This very, very subtle strategy of deception against Nehemiah now aimed directly at him. And then the primary goal behind all of these letters, this deception, is very simple. Stop the building. Stop the building. Stop the building. Stop the building. Lure Nehemiah off the wall and kill him. You you, you maim the quarterback. You you shoot the commanding officer. and, And by taking out the leader, you stop the building. And the, this subtle attack of deception against Nehemiah here, it didn't ultimately come from just these men here, but from Satan. Satan hates God. And he hates every genuine work of God. Satan knows here that God has called Nehemiah to build these walls. And Satan does not want the walls to be built. So Satan and the powers of darkness unseen are stirring up these flesh and blood enemies to plot this assassination. Kill Nehemiah and stop the building. The whole thing was ultimately fueled by hell. But Nehemiah won't take the bait by the grace of God, and he just continues to build. So <laughs> the enemies then alter their strategy just a bit. First, the deception, and the second subtle strategy here intimidation. If they can't deceive him off the wall, they'll try to intimidate him off the wall. And Sanballat now sends a fifth letter to Nehemiah, but this time it's not just an invitation to meet. If you look again at verse 6, in this fifth letter it was written, it is reported among the nations, Nehemiah, and Geshem, my buddy here, also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall, And according to these reports that are going around the nations, Nehemiah, you wish to become their king here. And you've also set up prophets here to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So come now and let us take counsel together. You think of Jerusalem this time... This time in history, Jerusalem was still under Persian control. It was still owned, basically, by King Artaxerxes, the one who initially allowed Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the walls. And the plan, of course, was that even after the walls were built, it would still be owned by Persia and man, if King Artaxerxes now hears that the Jews are rebuilding to rebel to revolt against Persia, well, he'll put a stop to the building immediately. He had already done that. He did that some 20 years earlier in the book of Ezra. This very king, Artaxerxes, 20 years earlier, book of Ezra, he said that the Jews could go back and rebuild those very walls. But once they started rebuilding, the enemies of the Jews rose up. They told the king that the Jews were rebuilding in order to rebel, and King Artaxerxes stopped the building project. And if the king now hears that the Jews under Nehemiah are building in order to rebel, well, he will stop it again and probably remove Nehemiah's head. And Sanballat Sanballat now tells Nehemiah that reports are circulating out there among the nations, he says that the Jews are planning to rebel. People everywhere, Nehemiah saying that you're calling yourself the king in Jerusalem and you're setting up prophets who are proclaiming you to be the king. Now listen, Nehemiah hasn't done any of this. He didn't call himself the king. He hadn't set up any prophets to say that he was a king. The Jews were not planning to rebel against Persia, but Sanballat now says to Nehemiah that the reports are circulating. And listen, Nehemiah probably doesn't know if that's true or not. This guy's been on the wall building now for days. He doesn't know what's going on out there. This guy has been working hard and And Sanballat now, man, you think of this, you look at it, he's now kind of presenting himself as a type of friend to Nehemiah. Offering to help him in some way. Listen, Nehemiah, people are saying things about you. And listen, buddy, it's just a matter of time before these rumors make it back to the king in Persia. Your life is in in grave danger. Listen, Nehemiah. I know that king, I can help you with these rumors. Come, come down from the wall, Nehemiah, and let's, let's talk. <laughs> he says, let us, Nehemiah, take counsel together. Let's talk about this problem, this issue. And the primary goal here, once again, in the second part, with this fifth letter, stop the building stop the building, lure Nehemiah off the wall, kill him, maim the quarterback, shoot the commanding officer, and by taking out the leader, you stop the building. And once again, it's ultimately coming from the powers of darkness. Satan is extremely crafty in the way he can alter his schemes to get what he wants. And if he can't get Nehemiah off the wall by deception, well, now he's going to try to get Nehemiah off the wall by frightening him. With intimidation. But Nehemiah once again, wise as a serpent, smells the proverbial rat. And he sends a letter back to Sanballat. If you look at verse 8. No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. And then he gives a little commentary here for us. He says, for they all wanted to frighten us. Thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done, they'll stop building. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. He knows, he knows, San Mallet was simply trying to frighten him, and the other Jews intimidate them into dropping their tools and stopping on this wall. So, Nehemiah does two things there. One, he, dem- he denies the rumors in, in Sandballat's letter. Your, your letter, Sandballat, is, is full of lies. Those are, those are false rumors. That's just gossip. We've done none of the things in your letters. And I know that you've made those up, figment of your own imagination. And two, Nehemiah, man, then he does what he's done so many times in this book. He turns to God in prayer. He looks to the Lord again for help. You hear these rumors, Lord, that Sandballet writes... Rumors that could possibly be spreading in the area now. You know why the rumors might be spreading in the area right now? If you look very closely, the fifth letter Samballot sent was an open letter. An open letter back then was the same as an open letter today. You wrote it so that everyone could read it. If you write an open letter today, you write it to somebody and then you put it on the internet so everybody could read it. So even if the rumors weren't circulating before Sambalat wrote the letter, now they very well might be. Because as that letter journeyed from Samaria to Jerusalem, how many people actually read it and heard Sambalat, this governor, saying that all these rumors were Circulating. And now Nehemiah just looks to the Lord. Lord, you hear these rumors that could be circulating all over the place about us at this point. Lord, you hear what our enemies are trying to do to frighten and intimidate us to stop this good work here. Help us now, God. Help us, Lord God. We cannot stop the rumors. I can't stop them. Lord, we cannot defeat these enemies. Help us Help us, Lord God, we commit ourselves to you. Don't let us run away in fear. Don't let us, don't let these people drop their tools and quit building, oh God, oh God. Strengthen our hands now, Nehemiah says, to stay on this wall and continue to build. God help us, you're our fortress, you're our refuge, you're our strength, you're our strong tower, Lord God, against our enemies, defend us now, God. Strengthen the people, strengthen our hands to stay on the wall and build. Praying, just lifting it up to God. Joseph, Joseph Scriven's famous hymn, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged, take it. To the Lord in prayer. Do you pray? Do you? Do you pray? Do you really pray? Not just say that you pray, but do you pray? When you are in trouble, when your children are in trouble, when your family's in trouble, when your church is in trouble, do you pray? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Nehemiah did it constantly in this book. So that's the basic passage there. And man, when you, when you step back and, and, and you, you look at that passage and you meditate on that passage and you think of what's going on in that passage, you know what? That passage right there just screams the name of Jesus. just screams the name of Jesus. As I've mentioned before, this man Nehemiah, he was a small foreshadowing. He was a small picture of Christ who would come some 400 years after him. And that passage right there, man, it just screams the name of Jesus. I want you, please, just listen to these words again and see if this reminds you of something in the life of Christ. You ready? Nehemiah says to Sanballat in verse 3, I am doing a great work and I cannot... Come down. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Now that right there, that's a picture of the cross. That is a small foreshadowing of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know that 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 entire passage there, it it foreshadows or it it prefigures the life and death of Jesus. Nehemiah here, he was building something, this this earthly Jerusalem, and Jesus also came to build. Jesus came to build what the Bible calls a heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus came to build his church. He came to bring sinners like you and me into his spiritual family. He came to to build us up into his glorious, eternal, universal church body, the bride of Christ. And Jesus, when he came to build his church, man, well, Jesus, like Nehemiah, Jesus was opposed fervently from the very moment that Jesus Christ was born, Satan did everything he could to keep Jesus from building his church. All kinds of satanic strategies that the powers of darkness came up with to keep Jesus from living a perfect life and from dying a sinless death for sinners. The the powers of darkness changing their tactics a billion different times with Jesus in an attempt to keep him from building. At times, the powers of darkness stirring up flesh and blood human beings to attack Jesus. And at other times, Satan just attacking Jesus directly. So much satanic opposition in the life of Christ to keep him from living a sinless life and from dying dying, um, an Innocent death for sinners on the cross, satanic opposition to keep Jesus from building. You could just think of the opposition that came against Christ, Herod killing babies when Jesus was first born, a satanic attempt to kill Christ. Satan then attempted, Satan then tempting Jesus directly in the wilderness, a satanic attempt to get Christ to sin. The people in Christ's own hometown trying to throw him off a cliff. The religious leaders testing Christ constantly. Politically charged riddles, an attempt to trap Christ. Satan tormenting Christ directly in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane. Pilate then, Pilate, Roman soldiers, Jewish religious leaders, beating Christ without mercy. Scourging, spitting, mocking, an attempt to get Christ to curse God. The powers of darkness opposing Christ relentlessly in his life on this earth. All kinds of strategies to keep him from living a sinless life and from dying a perfect death for sinners like you and me. All kinds of strategies to keep Jesus from building his church. But Jesus made it to the cross. As a sinless man, the the, the sinless God-man, there he is on the cross. And then, you know what, in his final hours, in his final hours, they're dying a sacrificial death for sinners. In that 11th hour, Jesus, just about ready to finish the crucial piece of his building project, his death and resurrection, right then, at that time, the powers of darkness, in desperation, changed their tactics one final time. And they stirred up flesh and blood around Jesus, dying on the cross, to call out to Jesus and lure him to come off the cross. And here it is, Matthew 27, 39. And those who passed by derided Jesus. They derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. And man, you know, you know what Jesus did right then these people calling out to him. You know what Jesus essentially said at that moment dying on the cross? Verse 3. I am doing a great work, and I cannot. I will not come down. And Jesus then Jesus, then just like Nehemiah, what did he do? He turned to the Father in prayer. Father, in Your hands I commit my spirit. Oh God, strengthen my hands now. Strengthen my hands now. So that I might stay on this cross and continue to build my church turn to God in prayer you know why Jesus did all that here it is because Jesus like Nehemiah Jesus was a cupbearer Nehemiah carried A cup full of wine. And Jesus Christ. The much better Nehemiah. Carried. And drank. A cup of wrath. You and I. For our sins. We deserve God's wrath. That's all we deserve from him. You don't deserve a good life. From God. Because of your sin. You don't deserve pleasure or comfort. From God. Because of your sin, you don't deserve health from God. Because of your sin, according to the Bible, the only thing you deserve is God's immediate and unending wrath. But God loved the world and sent His Son. And Jesus came as a cupbearer to drink the Father's wrath for sinners like you and me. Here it is, Luke twenty-two, forty-two. 42. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. And Jesus then on that cross, He drank that cup of wrath in full to the dregs, the infinitely better cupbearer. And if you man if you now simply turn away from your sin and repentance and you cling to Christ in faith and you follow him in faith your wrath is gone you will never drink that cup of wrath you're forgiven because of Christ listen do you know what Jesus did on the cross For you and me. Jesus stayed on the wall. He could have come off the wall. Satan seriously tempted him. To come off the wall. And Jesus stayed on the wall. And he continued to build. For those of you. Those of us. Who would trust in Him in faith. Here's the thing though. If you truly trust in and follow Christ today. You know what? Jesus is still on the wall for you. Now He's not still on the cross for you. But He's not done with you. He's not done building His church. Jesus may have finished the most crucial part of his building project on the cross, his death and resurrection, but he's still building his church today. He's now perfecting his building project. (laughs) Jesus now, on the basis of his life, death, and resurrection, on the basis of that, Jesus is now bringing more people into his church. He's adding more bricks to the wall, so to speak. And those who are already in the wall, those of you who are already trust in Christ in faith, well, Jesus is now perfecting those bricks. He's still on the wall. He's working to mold you right now. He's working to shape you right now. He's leveling your, your, your edges as a little brick. He's smoothing you out as one of his little bricks. He's smoothing out the mortar between you and the other bricks on the wall. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Jesus is now transforming you into his very image. Philippians 1.6, Jesus is now working to complete in you the work that he already started. Romans 8.28, Jesus is now causing everything in your life to work together for your eternal good. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is now praying for you. John 14.3, Jesus is now preparing a place for you. In heaven, and he will soon come again and take you to himself. That where he is, you may be also. Jesus is still on the wall for you. Jesus is still building in your life. I know some of you trust in Christ, you can't feel that right now. You can't see Christ in your life right now. Everything around you tells you that He's not building for you any longer. And He is. Jesus so often works in the darkness when you can't see Him. He works in the middle of the night. He works through your trials. He works through your grief. He works through your pain. He works through your suffering. In those times in this life when you least see Jesus, Those are often the times when He's working the most in your life. And you just have to trust it. If you believe in Jesus today, Jesus is still on the wall for you. He's still building. And He won't ever come off of the wall in your life. Ever. No matter what Satan throws against Him. He's on the wall for you, patiently building, Building you and the rest of his people into a glorious and radiant church, a spotless bride that he will someday soon present to himself. Ephesians chapter 5. And listen, you know what Jesus now says to you? Those of you who trust in and follow Christ in faith, you know what Jesus now says to you? Stay on the wall for others. Stay on the wall for others. As I have done unto you, do unto others. As a follower of Christ, Jesus has called you to build alongside of Him. To build His church. Jesus has called you to work with other believers, to make disciples. To make disciples of unbelievers and also to make disciples of other believers. You can think of it like this. Jesus has called you to add more bricks to the wall. And Jesus has called you to help shape the bricks that are already on the wall. You've been called by Jesus to build his church with him. And here's the thing. Satan will try anything and everything to get you off of the wall. Do you understand that? Satan will try anything and everything to get you off the wall and cause you to stop actively making disciples. All kinds of strategies the powers of darkness will throw at you. Satan will try to distract you with the pleasures and riches of this life. He'll try to get you preoccupied with money and jobs and food and clothing and vacations and kids' activities. Satan will try to entangle you with some sort of sin. He'll try to weigh you down with some sort of hopelessness. He'll try to frighten you with some form of threat or taunt. He'll try to use good people at times. He'll try to use other believers in your life to get you to stop actively building. Other believers to distract you, criticize you, dishearten you, Satan stirring up flesh and blood to cause you to drop your tools and quit. And man, I think Jesus right here in this passage today, I think he would say this, stay on the wall. Stay on the wall. Stay on the wall. Don't quit. Stay on the wall with your children. Stay on the wall. Keep discipling them. Keep raising them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Stay on the wall with your children. You may not see fruit now, but in due season you will if you do not quit, Galatians chapter six. Stay on the wall with your kids. Stay on the wall with your spouse. Praying for your spouse, loving your spouse, serving your spouse as Christ does for you. Stay stay on the wall for for your believing brothers and sisters. Walk through conflict with them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Correct them when necessary in love. Stay on the wall for for your unbelieving neighbors, your unbelieving coworkers, your, your unbelieving friends. Keep praying for them. Keep serving them. Keep loving them as Christ does for you. Stay on the wall. It's okay to rest at times. And there's some of you, you may be tired right now. It's okay to sit down on the scaffold and rest. (laughs) Jesus rested at times, times of solitude away so he could pray and rest. It's okay to sit down and rest in the arms of Jesus. Just don't quit. Don't quit building. Jesus in Matthew 11, when he offers you, when he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, he says in there, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you're still laboring. It's just a rested labor. You're resting in prayer. You're resting in, in His strength. And you're doing only that which He asks you to do. Man, Christ stays on the wall for us. May Jesus help you to stay on the wall for others. And when Satan tempts you to leave the wall, I pray Jesus would help you to respond with these words. I am doing a good work. And I cannot, I will not, come down. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Christ who doesn't quit. Doesn't quit on us, didn't quit on the cross. Doesn't quit on us now. Thank You, Jesus, that You are working in our lives, that You love Your people. And even when we can't see You, You're there, You're working, You care for us deeply. We thank you, Jesus, for these things. Lord, we need your help. Lord Jesus, so badly in so many ways, in so many areas. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. The enemy lures us so many times. We need your help, Jesus. Help us in light of what you are doing for us. Will you you help us? Will you empower us to turn and do it for others, Lord God? Will you help us? You stay on the wall for us. Will you help us now? to stay on the wall for others. We thank you for it. In your name, Jesus, amen.